Our previous transmission mode was too primitive to be received. I am now programming our computer to transmit lingua code at their frequency and rate of speed. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Oh, on the Starship Enterprise, there's someone who's in Satan's guise. Who's devil ears and devil eyes? What happened? The occipital area of my head seems to have impacted with the arm of the chair. I found this in the uh, Ganner room. Uh, uh, Ganner mirror. What is it? Well, it's, um... It's green. Mr. Spock has orders to kill you, Captain. He will succeed. Apparently. Not a magician, Spock. Just an old country doctor. Of course, Doctor. The Garden of Eden was just outside Moscow. A very nice place. I'm Captain Kirk. I'm Captain Kirk. I'm Captain Kirk! To boldly go where no man has gone before. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes. And I'm here with my good friend, Tim, not Sugar Lips, Elliot. Because apparently I am Sugar Lips. You're Sugar Lips. Uh, yeah. Hey, everybody. I want to apologize for, for hanging that nickname on Brian. Uh, I hope it doesn't stick. It's just a... Oh, no. It's it's there now. It's, it's out there in the ether. Um, I've had some bad nicknames before, uh, but that, yeah, that's, that's... That's the worst one? Well, you could be... Uh, you could be Brian, uh, what, what he used to call Ramita, Ring-a-ding-ding Ramita, and, uh, you know, of course, there was Jack and Kirby and just the, all, the, all the rest of the stuff that uh, Lee came in up with, so. But, you know, the thing is, is that my, my, my biggest problem in life has always been that my initials are B-C-H. <laughs> and when you've got initials like that, the nicknames come pretty quick. Yep, I imagine. Yeah. Anyway, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's uh, you know, kind of like I said, trying to settle into this new year. Uh, trying to keep up. Trying to keep with some of my uh, New Year's resolutions. And, uh, some successful, some not. Trying to really trying to work on a better uh, work life balance because that was I had a big problem with that last year. So I'm really trying to. You know, put some some limits on what I'm going to do and not work these 10, 11 hour days and say, I'm going to put it in my eight hours and that's going to be it. So, wow, yeah. I, I admire your dedication. Now, I, I can't do that though. In my job, if if I have to work, I, I, I have to work. You're on call? Yeah, I'm on, yeah. on call. In fact, I have to work tonight um, uh, yeah, after, I, after we finish this. Uh, yeah, I got, I got to put a couple hours in after we get out off this too. They, they kind of, exp- it's, it's not. It's not the way you're on call because you're doing a service. You know, they expect somebody to be there, but they it's almost unspoken that, well, you should be there. You know, you should be watching your email all the time, checking your email constantly and, and, and being ready to respond to stuff. And it's like, no, 
there's a guy I work with who said, you know, what's the difference between responding to something at midnight or the next morning? They're not going to read it at midnight. So, right. So. How about you? How's uh, uh, Santa good to you? Santa was was good to the family. That's I mean, good. That's, that's, that's always that's good. That's the way I put it. Um, I... Uh, and it was it was one of those things where, um, you know, the the wife and I had talked several months ago about some things that that uh, we wanted to do, um, and and get for the family. Now, Christopher is getting to the age where he just likes clothes and shoes, <laughs> and you know he's not so much into the toys anymore. And he's playing Fortnite all the time as far as games go, but he, he's, he's into the clothes and shoes, so Christmas was really easy for him as far as getting that. Now, as for the family, I got one of those, um, I got a stand-up arcade machine. You know, it, uh, it has like a bunch of different arcade games built into mm-hmm. it, uh, Centipede, Tempest, I've seen those. You know, Asteroids, and, and all that, and Fry's had one that had like about 12 different games built into it with a trackball and a, a dial on it. Nice and um, yeah, so that was uh, that was really nice, and so we got that. And there's always somebody now in the in that room on that thing playing it ad nauseum, <laughs> and sitting there blood bragging how they got the high score until the next person wipes it off. So it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> what if Gardner still has his? He I remember him mentioning once on a podcast that he had a like a Street Fighter or some big arcade game that he had like in his garage that uh, he had found cheap. Wow. I mean, an actual full-size you know, arcade style. Yeah, well, you know, I, I want to get another one. I want to get a cocktail table one. Oh, like uh, the like for like they had for Miss Pac-Man and stuff? And Yeah, just like, you know, like when we were when we were at Free Play um, Arcade in, was it Carrollton? Um, um, that, that we met at. And uh, but yeah, they had a, a cocktail table of Miss Pac-Man. But you can, you know, put the ROMs in for hundreds of games now. So you can sit there and just shift through all the different games as long as they work on the control set. You can sit yeah, there and play yeah. It. And so you know, it's just I wanted to get one that um, you could sit there and play Miss Pac-Man or Defender or you know any other n- number of games. Uh, I think the hardest would be to play um, Robotron because that takes two joysticks. Yeah. But I always love that game. But you could. I mean, I could see them being able to play that with a trackball. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's vintage arcade games is, is, you know, really booming again in the market. You know, everywhere you go, it's 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 become a big thing again. Like like what we were just talking about, the free play arcades. Uh, they've got one in Arlington now that I take my son to from time to time. And then over in Frisco, they've got the National Video Game Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, there by by some of the other museums and um, by the the railroad museum and uh, I went there uh, with Christopher a couple weeks ago and met an old friend of mine Thomas Ravor um, and we you know uh, checked out all the exhibits there which were really really uh, cool so you got to see everything going all the way back from you know Pong and all the the, the precursors to that as far as what they were building. And go up all the way through the arcade as well as the home video market, and see all the different you know video game things that they've gone through the years. You posted and, some uh, some pics on Facebook from yes. there, right? Yeah, yes, I, I remember did. seeing those. 
And, you know, because I had a lot of the video game machines growing up and even uh, some of the computers, the Atari uh, computer. I had the Atari 1200XL and the Commodore 64 before we got into the regular PC boom. Yeah, we never had 64. We had a, because we got them cheap and they were dumping them, we had a, a Texas Instruments version of like a Trash 80. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember uh, those. That way they were selling for like 100 bucks, which was basically I, useless. I, I remember as a young kid wanting a Timex Sinclair 1000. I don't know oh, if you I don't know. Those. I don't, I'm not familiar with the Timex. I don't know. Uh, I had a buddy that had an, a- an actual Apple II that ran off cassette until we finally upgraded to a floppy mm-hmm. uh, back in well, was probably late 70s. His brother got it for him, so that was, that was, uh, that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, we the Commodore 64 worked off the cassette and also off the floppies. And we actually uh, uh, got a Heath kit so that, and put in a, a toggle switch so that our uh, 8 drive could be 8 or 9 so that we could copy back and forth between one disc and another. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, we were, we were really rocking it back in those days. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're really dating ourselves here, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, anyway, before we go into uh, a book or anything, I wanted to go ahead and go back over some email and uh, then talk about a couple things coming up in the next few uh, next few months. So um, the, now we, of course, um, uh, we had two emails uh, here to go over. Uh, one of them I'll let, I'll let you cover from uh, Michael Laughlin. Okay. Because on one of our previous shows, we of course uh, you 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 went to one of Burns' shows in Boston, and you actually talked with Michael here. Yeah, uh, he, he's our, our one and only fan. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just kidding. But no, he actually recognized me at the con because where I was wearing my third degree burn shirt, and I was just walking down the hall, and he said, "Oh, hey, are you? Uh, uh, do you listen to that show or something like that?" I said, "No, I'm you know I'm." the one half of the show he's like oh so he told me that he just kind of just discovered us and was listening to it and then we wind up staying and uh sitting in line for the the, the burn uh panel mm-hmm. uh so we spent probably a good 30 minutes and then we sat next to each other in the panel so uh it was uh, great to meet him and uh he had a lot, a lot of nice uh, appreciative things to say about the show so it's like nice to hear you know find somebody out you never know who Who's listening? You never know how big your show is. You never. I mean, honestly, I don't go and look at the our stats. So honestly, I don't know if we're reaching one person or if we're reaching ten thousand. But that's not why we're doing it. We're not doing it to reach the masses. We're doing it because we love these books and we love Burn and we, you know, want to talk about it. Yeah, but that's uh, true. yeah, it was a it was a great time. Uh, great time meeting Michael. So you want me to read his email? Yeah, if you yeah, if you want. All right. This is from Michael Laughlin. If I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, title of the email is burn in boston hey guys uh i'm the mike from boston last name laughlin which i'm very uh i'm, I'm very sure i didn't tell you tell you tim uh during the panel i asked burn about she hulk uh, i was about to ask if he'd ever considered doing a legion of superheroes story but he started talking about the legion while answering another fan's question uh, attending the panel was a highlight of the con Burns, Burns' friendliness towards fans was nice to see. As Tim noted, the fans' response was quite positive. I wonder if he's trying to repair his image, and the Boston Con was the beginning of a Goodwill tour. 
I said I said at the con, and I'll say it again, uh, great show. I love that you guys are clearly fans of Byrne, but see the flaws in his work as well. Uh, he really is one of the all-time greats, and I was happy to meet him and attend the panel at the con. Those, uh, this is probably directed to you. Those X-Men uh, pa- uh, pages look fantastic. Thanks for linking them. Uh, in terms of burn, term in terms of burn art showing up on merchandise, I know I've seen some X-Men art on T-shirts. I'm pretty sure I've seen the Wolverine image uh, from the first part of the uh, Goodwin Burn Jansen story on a shirt as well. I have a Marvel lunchbox with a montage of characters taken from covers and panels. The Iron Fist image is definitely a Burn drawing. I'm surprised I've never seen a Burn FF t-shirt, especially considering how well he drew the thing. Uh, thanks for mentioning on the, the most recent episode, Tim. I look forward to future podcasts. I would especially love to hear your thoughts on his brief Hulk run. That's true. We need to we need to kind of jump on that. Yeah. Uh, Batman, uh, Captain America, Next Men. Hell, I'm really curious as to whether or not you could make a whole episode out of the out of that one Sunspot story he did in Marvel Comics Presents. Seriously, it's one of the best looking stories. Sincerely, Mike Laughlin. You know, I don't think I've read that Sunspot story. I don't. That doesn't sound familiar to me. I'm not. Now, uh, I've got every issue of Marvel Comics Presents in my boxes, but I don't. Um, I don't have a digital copy. That's probably a blind so. spot for me because I'd only pick those up when uh, something was on the cover that I that I uh, I liked, or I, I didn't particularly pick those up on a regular basis. So there may be some stuff that probably slipped through my cracks. Mm. Excuse me, slipped through the cracks. The cracks. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, and and um, actually, <clears throat> speaking towards his first line here, he's talking about the Legion of Superheroes. Um, I'd actually asked Burn on his website, Burn Robotics, about Legion of Superheroes because um, I, I'd actually found a cover to an old issue of Legion of Superheroes that reminded me a little bit of the Fantastic Four cover that he did with Gladiator. Mm-hmm. That later wound up being Superman and uh, the Legion of Superheroes. And so I wanted to ask him if he was giving that any homage. And, you know, he, he'd said absolutely not. Um, fact is that he never really cared for the Legion of Superheroes. He really didn't like the way that they were represented in the comics, you know, in the days when he was reading comics. Mm-hmm. So he never developed any sort of affection for them. And so that you're not likely, you know, even if Byrne were to go back to DC at this point, you're not ever likely to see him doing Legion beyond what he's already done. Yeah. And uh, beyond that, of course, um, you know, he was asking if Byrne was trying to repair his image. I don't think that that was a matter of him repairing his image. I think he was just being him. Um, as he always was. I absolutely agree. I don't. I don't. I didn't get a feeling that he was doing that as any kind of a, a PR stunt or something to to try to, you know, get in get in good with the fans again. I think he was. That's. I, I, I think what we saw at that panel was just honest burn, and that's how he is. And I. I think. I don't think he's ever. <sighs> I, would you say that he's ever ruffled the feathers of fans as he as much as he's ruffled the feathers of people in the industry? Yeah, well, I mean, there's assumptions always being made. 
And assumptions, you know, of course, are, are based on, you know, someone coming up with an idea based on something someone else has said. Yeah. And, you know, when, when people complain about something, especially when somebody is popular or well-liked, uh, it, it's easy for others to knock him down. And he doesn't suffer fools lightly. So if someone says something that is patently incorrect, he's not, you know, afraid to point that out. Um, and if he disagrees with, you know, something, he'll say so. That doesn't make him a jerk or, or anything. No. Just make, no. makes him honest, sometimes acerbic. And at this point, you can say eccentric. But, uh, you know, it's, it's again, it, you know, the, the, the quote-unquote Big Bad Burn stories is I sit there and, and kind of went through a lot of the people on some of the other Facebook pages and asked them their thoughts on it. I kind of get the same idea from, from most of them. You know, the, the stories that were big, bad burn stories were always friend of a friend stories. There was rarely anybody that said it happened to them. And typically you always find out that those that made the complaints are people that are kind of jerks in the first place. Yeah. It's always hard if you don't get both, sides of the stories. I know this is kind of a tangent, but recently, oh, say within the last six months, I've seen some stuff online about Mark Wade. And mm-hmm. I've met Mark at a local comic shop here and I talked to him briefly. I've always liked his writing. He seemed a perfectly pleasant uh, man and he was nice enough to sign my books and was appreciative of me telling him how much I liked his work. But I've heard some stuff that he's kind of... It's 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 that, that old story, you know, that old thing of oh this is somebody you like and oh really they're really they're they're a jerk or they're you know they're they've done something that they're not the nice guy you think they are so i don't know if any of that stuff is true or if that's just a rumor that gets started similar to 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 burn so yeah and i mean you know there's always the public face and the private face and i think burn's the kind of guy that gets the same face wherever he's at and that's probably true. As you said, he doesn't suffer fools, and that's going to uh, that's going to rub some people the wrong way. And that's just that's just who he is. So, yeah, and and I mean, he's definitely had his you know his public you know disputes with people, especially people like Dan Slott and and others, and, and, and Peter David. And you know, people will sit there and say he's at odds with, with Chris Claremont, and, it, and I don't find him actually at odds. I, I actually find them being friends in a fashion. That doesn't mean that he's not going to sit there and say this is what I didn't like about what Chris did in the work we did together. Yeah. Or in the changes that he made afterwards. What's his but, uh, What's his beef with uh, Peter David? Oh, I, again, I, I couldn't. I can't remember the the details of, but I know that there was a a, a little bit of internet flaming going on mm. a couple years back. Um, but you know, I, again, there's not anything that, you know going on these days. Um, yeah. But again, you know, it's not something that that I got into. I, I didn't try to get into that stuff when all that was going on. Like I didn't really read all the stuff with Dan Slot either. Um, so I can't say I've you know that I'm I'm really educated on those to sit there and say a whole lot. I just know that that there have been a number of you know flame wars that have gone on with some people that are more in the business than out of the business. Well, I think it goes back again to what you said that he kind of speaks his mind, and he yeah. doesn't—he doesn't try to be 
political about stuff, or he doesn't, or no, well, not political, PC, or he doesn't try to sugarcoat things. So, uh, if he's got an issue with something, he's going to say it. I don't think he's being mean or vindictive or being saying. I things. will. I will say though, he's a bit more conscious of what is, you know, going to work with the public or not. Now, I, you know, his work on Elsewhere, Elsewhere, um, X Men, Elsewhere. That uh, he's he's been working on lately is he had drawn in there, of course, a scene where Wolverine was going to spank Kitty Pride, mm-hmm. and he went and showed it to some people, women and others, and they told him, "Hey, it's kind of creepy," you know, and so he just went ahead and took it out and put in something else instead, and you know, at least you know he's he's sitting there kind of feeling the public barometer on these things to make sure that he doesn't go in that wrong direction. He, you know, realizes oh, yeah. that, you know, that his sensibilities may be a little bit different than others. And so he wants to make sure that, uh, he's not going to sit there and ruffle. Well, and this, this day of social media that, that, yeah. that you'll get jumped on so quickly. The, the stuff that you think is perfectly harmless and, you know, the majority of people may think it's harmless, but you have to think that there is, Somebody that's gonna going to uh, object to it, and that's going to get blown out of proportion. So, I mean, that, yep. that's that's good that he's willing to change and not stick to his guns and say, you know, no, this is my creation, this is my vision, this is my artwork, it's my way or the highway. So, right, uh, I think you're right. He's maybe he's maybe uh, listening to people. Mm-hmm. You got to mm-hmm. be open minded about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, so thanks, Mike. Uh, that was that was uh, very. Very nice of you. Very, and, very nice um, email. Yeah, and I'll uh, move on to the next one, which is from Bill Lacasse, uh, titled John Byrne Fan Expo Toronto. Uh, hey, guys, love the show. I've been listening since the beginning, since I'm a Byrne fan, too. Well, thanks, Mike. I mean, um, Bill, that's good to know. <laughs> I just wanted to let you know I went to the Byrne panel at the last day of the Fan Expo in Toronto, and the first thing someone asked was if he would do more panels, and his answer was, No, this is my last ever anywhere. I had a good time at this con, but it reminded me of why I... And then you hear crowd laughter. And he says he can't make out the rest. He has video of the panel. It's 56 minutes long. Uh, he'd like to get us a copy, but uh, yeah. Now, uh, he says, I got to meet him Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And also the Shatner Burn experience. Got my limited 10 books a day. Every time I met him, he was nice and it had a little anecdote about one of the books or items I got signed. He also said my copy of Kirby 100 from Tomorrow's was the first one he signed. That was cool to hear. Just wanted to give you news about no more con appearances. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Bill Cass. And so the, the reason why I wanted to read this one is because um, just a couple days ago on Burn's website... Uh, he stated this that he heard from the con folk Bill wants to do it again hmm <laughs> so while Byrne yeah, it had gone on record even on, on his website here saying that uh, these cons were reminded him of the reason why he doesn't like to do conventions um, he is definitely percolating the idea of doing at least uh, one more, if not maybe two more, with Shatner. Uh, so we'll be hearing about that. That'd be uh, cool as as things develop. 
Um, in in other news, uh, people, of course, have been trying to pin him down. When are we going to see something? When are we going to hear something about X-Men else? When is it going to get published? What's going to happen? And he kind of gave a, an if situation, and that is if, you know, if things worked out the way C.D. Sabolsky had said, we would see something by May, but they would really be pushing it to the deadline if that was the case. Uh, because I don't think that anything's been signed or anything's been finalized. But uh, that would be the earliest that we'd see anything would be May, if X-Men Elseman does go to publish. That'd be great. I mean, it'd be nice to get him actually printed. I mean, even if he doesn't, we still have the, the scans, so we've got the artwork. But We still got the scans, the artwork, and... He, you know, he hasn't been showing full pages as much lately as he has been putting out little images. And the last thing he put out was uh, Ben Grimm, a thing, a very nice-looking thingy thing, you know. And yep. just, it was like, hello, old friend. You know, it's just, it was, it was uh, beautiful, good to see. Well, if he gets it published, I hope that will, uh, hope that hopefully that will help satisfy this itch he had for starting this project and maybe it'll lead to you know maybe a, an issue or two throughout a, a, you know an issue or two a year no you know no so he doesn't have to rush it so he's not on a, a weekly schedule but just put him out as he sees fits because they know they've got to know that it'll sell I'm wondering if it might help the new you know help the um, the big two get away from the biggest problems that they both have right now. And that is, you know, 50 plus years of continuity. Because the one problem that they both are running into is history and so much history and so much of this writer did this and that writer did that and all this other stuff happened and -and so-and-so can't be here because this one was there and all that. And all the different, of course, universes and crises and whatnot that have gone on that, you know, a reader today would have to have been reading for the last 10 years to have even a clue as to what is going on with any of the characters today. And with what Burns done with, you know, X-Men Elsewhen is he's plucked into a very, plugged into a very specific time period and he's bringing it up to today and he's going to continue it on, but it's you know it, it's going to be independent of anything else that's gone on in the Marvel universe. Yeah, he'll be able to include the other characters, but as they were, you know, at at, at that time, that time. At that time, yeah. And as always, for the most part, you can tell side stories that are always like, well, this took place in between issues, or this took place before a big arc. You know, I hope they seriously don't abandon. Uh, continuity because that's one of the reasons I think I was drawn to Marvel because it had a nice tight uh, continuity and they've kind of I don't even know what they're doing now because I've kind of stopped reading Marvel but uh, I don't uh, they're not I know they're not as um, holding to it as they they have been in the past I mean with them trying to reset it with uh, Secret Wars if I was a writer or an artist that was coming into Marvel or DC and you know, just wanted to sit there and do like a nice six story, you know, six issue arc on one book or another. I like the idea that I could sit there and go to any point in continuity and say I want to do a story in this period. I think and it's fine. To, yeah, that's... and not have to continue on 
from the original continuity. I mean, yeah, you can sit there and continue on, continue those on, if if that's what you want to do. But to be able to do a story, you know, at any period in time, and not have to continue the continuity would would, you know, open all sorts of things. I mean, I'm sure that this is something that you know that they they've actually done over the years. But it's not something that they, you know, opened the floodgates and said, "Yeah, anybody's free to do this." No, but I, I just, I don't. I, to me, Marvel's. I can't say for DC because I really haven't been reading any DC. But to me, Marvel's problem is the films. The MCU is is so uh, in forefront and so important, and and that's for you know the the majority of the, of the public that is what Marvel is, that's their reference point that, that is taking center stage and the books are even are having to modify themselves to be in more in line with the films, which I love, but I, I, I wish they were separate. I wish the, the, you know, the, the, the books didn't have to kind of follow with what the movies are doing because, well, this is what the public knows. They all know all these movies. This is all the characters they know. This is a history. This is the stories they know. Well, we want the we want to get new readers, so we have to be more like the films because that's what people know. Well, yeah, because I mean, the the thing is, if you picked up an Iron Man book, you know, ten years ago when when the movie came out, you wouldn't recognize what Iron Man was in that book versus the Tony mm. Stark that we, we saw in the well, movie. Look at Nick Fury. If you read a book 15 oh years ago, God. I'd be like, yeah, yeah. Hey, what, what, who's this Nick Fury guy? That's not right. Have you seen the new Spider-Man trailer? I have not. Oh, Spider-Man Far From Home. It The, mm. the, the trailer looks really, really good. I'll have to watch. I did see the new Ghostbusters teaser Yes, that Jason Reitman is going to be doing, so... And apparently he's getting all the all the old gang back. Yeah, well, uh, not Harold uh, Ramis, obviously. Obviously not him, but uh, um, I don't know. I'll, I'll see what I'll see what uh, see how that's going to turn out. But um, I don't know. Uh, anything else? Oh, I, uh, before we get into the book proper, have you seen Venom? Yes, I saw Venom. Okay. Uh, spoiler warning, because we're going to talk about Venom. Did you like it? You know, I I mean, I went into it disconnecting it from everything that I know about Venom mm-hmm. in the comic books. Gotcha. I, ju- I, just, I just, you know, I said, okay, they're going to call him Eddie Brock, but I, I just, I sliced everything off from there because I knew they weren't going to be able to, to really... You know, put anything in there, you know, from the from the comics, right? Uh, that was going to be completely separated from the Spider-Man universe, and doing it that way, I had fun. I mean, that that's all I can say, though. It wasn't deep. It wasn't great. It was fun. It 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 you know it, it just <laughs> it, it wasn't a bad movie, but it, it wasn't something that I was going to sit there and tell everybody they need to run to the theater and see. I can't. I can't argue with the fun. I, I thought it was. Uh, I didn't. I obviously, didn't hate it, but I thought. It, I mean, I thought it was a huge mess. Um, yeah, it was a mess, <laughs> but it was a fun mess. You know, I mean, uh, I, I don't. I, I've never been a big Venom fan. I like. You know, I appreciate the character when he came on board. You know, originally, but I thought he was so overused, and maybe I'm. I'm bringing that baggage with me that you know all that 
uh, oversaturation in the 90s. Well, you know, um, I that that was really when I started, you know, kind of phasing out of um, of Spider-Man and comics in general mm-hmm. uh, for a while there. Uh, when when Spider-Man was going through, it was right towards the end of you know, right when McFarlane was starting his own book, and he'd gotten off the other book with Michelini, and I think they were they were doing the whole uh, was it Captain Universe or. Whatever Cap- it was. Uh, Captain Universe came on when uh, was it Dale Keown was on the book? I I don't I think so. I, I think mean, so. I thought Eric Larson was doing or Larson, work. not Dale Keown. It was Eric, Larson, Eric correct, Larson. Yeah. correct. And you know, I just I, I I was getting away from it altogether because I just I, I I guess I was well, I was getting married and. I can, you know, I going, can keep going you through occupied. adult stuff, and I was—I I, yeah. I, didn't—I don't want to say I was putting childish things away because I—I I didn't do that totally. But you know, I just got away from a lot of books for a while there and didn't just buy them regularly. <laughs> well, uh, from what little bits of stuff I've been seeing online, they, it looks like Marvel may be trying to undo or retcon or. Or, or resolve uh, one more day. So the, it looks like they're going to get try to get Peter and Mary Jane back together. Oh, so that's that's you know I'm, I'm not the the person that thinks that one more day is the 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 worst thing Marvel ever's done. I mean I thought it was it didn't need to be day. it didn't need to be done, but the stuff that got them to the point where they thought they needed to do that didn't need to be done either. So yeah, see I never read one more day. I've read it, but it's, I mean, it was just a way of, uh, you know, honestly, they should have, they should have, Aunt May, Aunt May died in issue 400, they should have left her, it was a, it was a great issue, they should have left her dead, uh, and then just, you know, moved on from there, but. Yeah, yeah, just wait, <laughs> just wait, Spider-Man Far From Home, just wait. Right. Now, did you watch Into the Spider-Verse? I haven't seen that yet. I, I uh, keep trying oh, to go I can, see I can, it. I can. I can. I. I'll so recommend that. Um, it was really, really good. Uh, great animation and uh, good performances all around. Chris I've heard Pine, nothing but course. heard nothing but good stuff from it. Yeah, um, of course. You know, some people are having um, epileptic seizures in the theater oh. uh, by the anim- the animation because the animation is very poppy. You know, mm-hmm. It pops. It's got a lot of a lot of. Uh, pop art sensibility to it, so uh, yeah, that's cool. But it's it's like I said, it's a great movie. I I, I, I can't recommend it more. Cool. Uh, I got one more plug before I get in. I picked up a book around Christmas time. Uh, it's by uh, Eagle Moss, and they're if you're familiar with Eagle Moss, they do the little model ships. They're 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 putting out. It's like kind of a model of the month thing you subscribe you get like a new ship every couple of weeks oh, cool. but it's a book and it's called Star Trek Shipyards and it's in two volumes I've got volume two and it's uh, Starfleet ships from 2292 to the future uh, the, the volume one covers everything from early uh, TOS up to uh, I think the beginning of the, the Enterprise uh, C Mm. But it's just a great picture book, you know. It's you know, it's a, one of those you know, encyclopedia type books. It's yeah, got like specs this. and it's got a lot of three D modeling and information, and uh, I can't recommend it. Well, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a friend of uh, Shane Johnson, who wrote Mister Scott's Guide to the Enterprise. Oh, 
and uh, Shane is now Laura Johnson. Oh. Um, yeah. And but uh, still here in the Metroplex, and uh, also had done a Star Wars technical journal. That's got a lot of uh, schematics of uh, Star Wars related ships and such. But he always did uh, great work on uh, great line work on on those kind of vessels and what. Yeah, I like that. I've got Mr. Scott's guide. It's similar to the Starfleet technical manual they put out in the seventies. Yeah, I, years ago. I had I had that one, the Starfleet technical manual. I also had. I, I mean, I've got it. Do you have the medical and, manual? Uh, not the medical manual, but I've got the blueprints. The oh, original blueprints. Seventeen oh one blueprints. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That uh, is it. Jeffries did. Matt Jeffries, Matt, yeah. Matt Jeffries did, yeah. I think so. I got those, but I see. I I pinned those up on my wall as mm. a kid, so every corner of every one of the blueprints has a pinprick, oh. a pinhole. Well, if you can find uh, in the probably maybe early '80s, they put out a uh, Starfleet. Or Star Trek, Starfleet, Star Maps, Star Charts, I think they're called. Mm-hmm. And it's two big, double-sided, uh, fold-out maps. And they're probably maybe 36 by 36. And they just show the, you know, all four quadrants, and they show the path of all the ships, all important planets. They have, you know, in some parts they'll have close-ups of certain ships or planets. Uh, I know they're pretty pricey if you can't find them because I think they're out of print. But... There, there's some beautiful, beautiful there was, artwork. Yeah, there was one book that I had gotten in the '90s that was a real uh, good get. I got it at a convention, and what it was was it was a technical manual for Star Trek writers, wow. for writers of Star Trek: The Next Generation. And uh, I'd actually heard uh, Peter David refer to it when he was writing his book Vendetta. Hmm. And um, so I was, I was like, I got this thing, and it really was in depth. You know, the explanation of you know the the different speeds of warp speed and why warp ten was actually un- unobtainable. And this is a uh, published book. No, it was a. Uh, and the thing is, what I got was a, a a thing of basically a binder of Xerox copies. Oh, that's cool. Of it that's bound even, together. That's even better. And I've got it in a – I think it's in a box up in my attic. I'm going to have to sit there and track this thing down because it's like I, I keep wanting to refer to it as I've been you know, reading and you know, doing some other stuff and going back to some of my older books and whatnot. And I've, I've got the Okuda books, you know, like the, the uh, Star Trek encyclopedia and the chronology yeah. and you know, all those that he did uh, with his wife Denise in the 90s. Um, and that was a real good companion to have with it, and it was also real, you know, good when you're doing like role playing games mm-hmm. and when you're, yeah. you're 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 just writing yourself. They put out a nice box set of the uh, I think the timeline I think last year that they updated. God, you know, so that's got double box. crazy now. I, I can't imagine trying to sit there and, and do all that, especially if you've got. They're trying to incorporate the Kelvin timeline and Enterprise, and I don't know if they do that. Or not. Speaking of that, our uh, today tonight is the season premiere of season two of Discovery. Yeah, you know, I I just read something by J. David Weeder saying that it's only available on tablets and PCs. You can't watch it on TV. Oh, I thought you could watch it on the CBS app. 
I don't know. Well, and that's that's the thing. It's it, it it's only allowing it to be viewed on PCs and tablets. So I mean, they're going to lose a lot of viewers if that's the case. Yeah, that's not because I watched it last. The first season, we had the CBS app on our Apple TV, and that's how we watched it. So if you can't yeah. watch it that way, I don't want to have to watch it. You know, if I've got a 50-inch TV, I want to watch it there. I don't want to watch it on my monitor. Right. Same here. Yeah. So. And, I mean, you know, again, uh, with my device, uh, the the StreamSmart device, I don't know what what that means for us. We should be able mm-hmm. to watch it on our TV. No, I'm sure you can probably watch TV. it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for the average viewer, I just I don't know how that's going to work. Hmm. Um, I know there was something else I wanted to talk about, but I just cannot remember um, <clears throat> so, we'll get into the yeah. Let's, let's let's look further ado. The book, which you've done all your legwork on. I have done, uh, yeah, I've done the legwork on it. I did the all heavy right. lifting on it. Uh, let me get my tablet up and running here. All right. Uh, the book we are covering, as stated, is Star Trek: New Visions, which are the photo novels that John Byrne has been doing for IDW. Uh, this is the final issue in the run, uh, not maybe not the last. It was the final issue in his original run. He has hinted that he wanted to continue to do these, maybe all of his, maybe as one-offs or special editions. So, hopefully, uh, this format will come back. And now that Chris Rial is back at IDW, I don't see anything standing his way. Right. All right. So our writer. Uh, is of course John Byrne. Our artist, or Photoshop artist, is John Byrne. Uh, our editor is Chris Royale. The publisher is IDW. Uh, this was published on June 27th of last year, and it has 48 pages. Uh, a few notes here. Uh, in this issue, it references uh, original TOS uh, episode City on the Edge of Forever. Who mourns for... And I'd always pronounce this Adonis, but See, I think I it's made that Adonis. For, yeah, I made that mistake for years. I always thought that it was Adonis, and I, I've been hearing like on uh, "Give Me That Star Trek," it's Adonai. Adonai. Yeah, they covered it on uh, uh, a podcast I listen to that covers the books, and I'm blanking on their name. Um, Mission Log, and they pronounced it. I went, "Wait a minute, you guys are pronouncing it wrong." But they're smarter than me, so I, I no, just defer yeah, to them. For years, I, I just assumed it was Who Mourns for Adonis. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, again, it's it's your mind making it fit Filling your, it, what you your, got. your concepts. Of course, when you're a kid, you see it as one thing. And now that you're you know, a full-grown adult, you go back and you look at it and you go, well, well what do you know? Of course, as a kid, you always thought, well, they call him Apollo. Why, are they co- why is it not Who Mourns for Apollo? Uh and they also, uh, Assignment Earth is also covered in this. Yeah. Uh, they also reference uh, previous Star Trek New Visions number 11 uh, of Woman Born. Uh, and I did a little math on this based on uh, the based on the story about when they say how long this, this station's been here that we're going to cover. And I put this at about, if we assume that the, the first... Uh, Season is twenty two sixty six. This would be twenty two seventy one. So it'd be like the fifth year of their five year mission. Wow. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, this uh, episode. Episode. Mm-hmm. This issue. 
is called An Unexpected Yesterday. And the synopsis goes a little bit like this. Our story begins as the Enterprise approaches Science Station 187, which is orbiting the Guardian of Forever's planet. See, previously stated, City on the Edge of, City on the edge of Forever. Episode, uh, season 1, episode 28. The station's commander has contacted Starfleet about a disturbance in the time ripples that emanate from the planet. Commander Killaway asks for Kirk's help because, his prior, because of his prior experience with the Guardian. Kirk, Spock, and Bones beam over to the station. When they materialize, they are surprised to see Carolyn... Pal- would you pronounce that? Palamus? Palamus. 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 Uh, an anthropologist and archaeologist who had transferred to the station a few months ago to study the Guardian. A happy reunion is short-lived as they need to go to the they need to get to the bottom of these disturbances. Uh, Carolyn was in Who Mourns for Adonai, uh, uh, which was season two, episode four. Uh, Killaway states that the Guardian's technology is too advanced, and the station crew is cautious to actually uh, beam down to the planet and interact with the Guardian, so they study it from orbit. Uh, a scientist named Tan Ali uh, asks Spock to review her scans of the time portal. Spock determines that the Guardian has reset itself uh, and, a closer, and a closer investigation is needed. The trio beam down to the planet's surface. The ancient machine slash being welcomes them. The time stream has been altered, but not by the Guardian. It does not understand the nature of the change, and Spock suggests Lieutenant Palamas beam down to the join the party. Kirk and Spock are going to take a trip through the gateway to determine what changes have been made in the timeline. Uh, the Guardian was previously projecting uh, the early 21st century, so they think that may be where the changes occurred. Carolyn stays behind with Dr. McCoy to monitor their progress. They emerge in the early 21st century in the northeast United States, but all is not as it should be. There is no devastation, no destruction from the Third, War, Third World War. All is seemingly peaceful and intact. As they rush to hide themselves from the public eye, they attempt to contact Dr. McCoy. No luck. They're cut off. The doctor contacts the Enterprise for help. He asks Lieutenant O'Hara to try to break through the interference so they can reach the captain. Spock had stated earlier that he had modified the communicator so he'd hoped that they would be able to communicate through the portal. Scotty and O'Hara beam down to help contact Kirk and Spock. Scotty is pleased to see Carolyn again, and he asks her about her son. See Star Trek New Visions, Issue 11. Cut back to Kirk and Spock. Spock thinks they have traveled to a parallel universe, but before they can investigate more, than, investigate more they are stunned by an off-screen foe. Back on board the Enterprise, the time distortions are growing worse, making it hard to navigate through them. Sulu takes the helm and tries to pilot the ship out of danger. Uh, we cut to a nondescript office, as an alien machine opens, and Spock, Kirk, and Gary Seven walk through. Seven demands answers. Who are they? Why are they on Earth? Kirk is puzzled. They met Seven years ago during an earlier time travel incident. See, assignment Earth. Seven denies knowing them. In orbit, the Enterprise is still fighting the time distortions that are emanating from the Guardian. The station calls, and they are beginning to break up. Sulu decides to grab the station with a tractor beam and pull it out of orbit into safety. Back with Kirk and Spock. Seven determines the two officers are in a parallel universe, pulled through from a portal generated on Earth. 
Seven's computer, Beta 12, locates the portal in a normal residential neighborhood. The three break in and start to poke around. They head to the basement and find an advanced piece of tech generating energies unknown to Starfleet. They are uh, They are uh, the owner of the house, Alan Rigby, uh, surprises them and pulls a gun on them. He is the inventor of the tech, and he walks in and he's not too happy with the intruders. Back on the Guardian's planet, a remaining crew member still can't contact the captain, and the Guardian is un unable or unwilling to help. Alan Rigby demands answers, and so Gary Seven, and so does Gary Seven. How did a 21st century scientist build a machine so advanced? Well, now we enter the aliens. These subdimensional beings helped Alan build his machine. They are a little trigger-happy and stun the three men. But Kirk gets in a few punches, maybe even a double axe handle. Spock manages a nerve pinch before they are all stunned for good. Back on the time planet, Scotty and Carolyn decide they need to go looking for Kirk and Spock. They jump through the Guardian and arrive in a war-torn Earth. All they find is ruins and radiation. This is, the, this is the 21st century that Spock and Kirk thought they would be entering. They start to look around when the ground starts to quake and gives way, and Carolyn falls and is paled on a pipe. Back in the basement, the aliens monologue about their machine and their plans. The face shift is almost ready, whatever that is. They begin to interrogate their prisoners. Back in space, a strain on the tractor beam is tearing the station apart, so Sulu has to cut it loose in order to save the Enterprise. Sulu orders Chekhov to beam the station members' personnel aboard the ship. The, uh, as the aliens are questioning the humans, uh, they don't, do not believe that they are from the future. The beings are about to start killing them off to get answers when Seven calls for his cat, Isis, who has been hiding in the shadows, to attack one of them. Kirks makes his move, and a few punches and a nerf pinch later, the aliens are out for good. With the aliens unconscious, Alan explains his machine is called the Looking Glass. He built it with the help of the aliens to open up a portal to another world. Sorry, I had to cough. You can edit that out. <laughs> uh, the station personnel are beamed aboard the Enterprise as the station breaks up while... On the planet, the time ripples begin to tear the planet apart. McCoy and O'Hara determine the, once, the one chance for survival is to travel through the Guardian into the same pass as the others. They jump into the devastated landscape of the 21st century. They find Scotty with a mortally wounded Carolyn. Scotty tends to his injuries as best he can. Back in the basement, the machine is building to an overload, and they cannot turn it off. Alan explains the alien's influence or the, the aliens had influenced his thinking in order to get him to build the machine. He explains he knows little about them, so Spock decides to try a mind meld. Koi struggles to save Carolyn, but she needs his but he needs his equipment uh, about aboard the Enterprise. Spock is power. Uh, Spock is overpowered by the mind meld. Spock sees sees universes collapsing and folding onto each other as the machine continues to build in power. It must be shut down, but Spock warns it must be shut down in stages, carefully. Alan volunteers to turn off his machine despite the risk of radiation. He begins to power down as the, as the conversion begins. The universe seems to turn itself inside out as Alan finally completes a shutdown, but then the machine explodes, bathing him in radiation. The machine and the aliens have vanished. The universe seems to have returned to normal, but Alan is dying. He tells Kirk he wanted to find a way 
to a better world, but now he knows the future is in good hands and he dies peacefully. Epilogue. All is well. Time has been reset and everyone has returned to their own time and Carolyn is in sick bay recovering. Scotty decides to take a few days leave to stay with Carolyn on the station while she gets back on her feet. As we fade to credits, McCoy ponders with all the parallel dimensions, how do they know if they actually return to their own time and their own universe? The end. That was, that was a really good synopsis, oh, Tim. Thank thanks. you. It took me forever to write that. <laughs> so he gave a special thanks to Bud Prenovost and Sean Hannon. And then at the beginning, he also gave a big thing to Harlan Ellison. Um, of course, because, you know, a lot of this was inspired by City on the Edge of Forever. He goes, employing concepts created by Harlan Ellison. Mm-hmm. And, of course, every issue is dedicated to talented performers, craftsmen, and technicians whose work is represented here. Um, but I, I thought this was a, an interesting story, though it did it did take me a couple readings to really absorb what was going on. Um, and the aliens were just kind of very bizarre. But I, I found that in Burns' new visions, that a lot of times, um, a lot of the external concepts that he introduces are a lot more bizarre than anything we've seen. I, I agree with that I, I read this a few times, and I still not one hundred percent certain I understand exactly what. Unless I should be reading between the lines, I didn't understand a lot about what was going on, you know, what the aliens' motivation was, what. Uh, why they were doing what they were doing, why they couldn't build the machine themselves, why they had to have a human build it. Right. Um, so I. Well, you know, my my first question is why was this space station called one eight seven? Because one eight seven is like the police code for murder. <laughs> well, not in the twenty first century, twenty third century. There is yeah, no murder. I, I, Maybe I don't know. Not. Maybe maybe there are 187 science stations. I, 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 <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I mean, uh, I should say. I think we we've covered this before, but just in case we have a a brand new readers and maybe have never read Star Trek New Visions, uh, we should point out that what Burn has done, he's taken screen grabs from the original series, and in some cases created new characters, created new 3D models, and he's kind of. If you ever read the old photo novels from Star Trek, he's doing something similar to that. Yeah, I mean, he's he's found a way of, of recreating, you know, or creating brand new original series episodes uh, using this, and he's he's gone to, to very large painstaking effort to, you know, not pick such stock standard poses that you go, okay, that comes from the Squire of Gothos, or or that pose comes from, you know, the enemy within or whatever so it's um it's interesting though i gotta say some of the costume choices in, in here were a little bizarre i almost wanted to call that station commander commander two-face <laughs> well he you can see he is definitely uh and someone who's worked in photoshop i can you know i can attest that this takes a lot of time and talent now he said you know during the panel that what what makes it easier for him is he's so ADD about the original series. He has like a uh, he, he can know exactly what shot and in what 
when it is and what episode when he's doing his layout so he can go to him very quickly and pick out what he picks out picks out what he needs that's why he said that he couldn't do this with anything else because he's so yeah. tied in with TOS that it makes it easier he couldn't do it with um, uh, he couldn't do it with say next gen or something like that I, I get the feeling he doesn't care much for next gen I don't think so I think he's a he's a uh, I mean, he like it he may like it but I think he's an old school He's a purist. Uh, yeah. And you can tell by the... He's gone to a lot of lengths. Similar to when they... If you ever watched the remastered episodes, how mm-hmm. when they re, the when they are replacing an effect, they try to replace it with something that could have been done in that time period. So he, you can tell when he's designing his stuff, his costumes, he's drawing on his inspirations from the episodes. You know, like you said, yeah. the Stacey Commander's uh, costume that... The green and purple, yeah. or pink, is similar to. Uh, you've seen that kind of costume before. That that's kind of generalized overall that the guys would wear. Right, right. I mean, it, it's not out of place there, but at the same mm. time, it, it it caught me a little off guard. Yeah. Um, but but the, I, I can see in this one, you know, he went to you know great lengths to make sure that the the images of the characters weren't ones that we had seen before. I mean, even the very first first page, when you see Kurt standing there on the bridge next to Spock, and his his shirt's a little rumpled, and mm-hmm. he's standing there in kind of a, a ready pose. You can, I, you know, I just I could not place that. I, I and I don't try. I think sometimes he's even he's taking bodies and replacing heads. I think he's doing a yeah. lot of more manipulating. Uh, the, that then you can tell. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, he's definitely he's even moving moving arms and, and mm-hmm. such. I mean, he's doing pretty much what Lucas was doing when he was making his Star Wars movies. Yeah, and you know he would move people around the whole stage, or, as as it were. Um, but I want to point out on page one when you first see the Enterprise approaching the planet. Mm-hmm. Look at the back of the nacelles. Yeah, that's the wrong model. That's they don't have the. The little spheres back there. No, they don't. You're right. And I looked. I watched both episodes that this references, and both of those have. I don't think you saw this this uh, style except in the pilot, and maybe the second pilot. Hmm. So I don't know if that's just that's the and only the, shot of the Enterprise. And this is had. supposed to be later. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Um, there was something about this this issue. Uh, especially the the planet side stuff that it made me think of um, Alex Ross's work and that, that that one shot with the Enterprise there you know about coming to the planet mm-hmm. it made me think of Alex Ross as well uh, you know just more like it was painted rather than you know fo- you know photo referenced or mm-hmm. or a, a photo uh, you know, shop a screen grab image. yeah yeah screen grab so i mean it, it's again it, it flows into that comic book realm so i mean it's doing what it's supposed to be doing so i like that yeah well i'll say that he's trying to he's really honestly trying to make this look like the photo novels mm-hmm. which were just taking grabs you know they were just taking uh, images from the actual episode because he's not drawing this like it's a comic you know in on page two you see kirk in the foreground and the depth of field, he's blurry. As yeah. If, you know, if you were, that was a real, you know, if this was a really film, this was an actual TV show, 
you know, Spock and Bones would be in focus and Kirk wouldn't be. So he's doing his best to make it look like it's an actual... Um, and I think that shows, again, his dedication and his love and his appreciation for this TV show. That he's going to those lengths to make it look like, oh, this could have been a show you watched. Mm-hmm. But... And again with that jumpsuit. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's all I'll say. Well, it, what kept throwing me off was this is uh, from. Um, that's the uh, wink of an eye. This is the. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, but it's the, you know, the aliens that they are sped up and move faster. Mm hmm. That's the commander of that little group that take over the Enterprise. So that's what I kept seeing. That's all I kept seeing was oh. uh, Re- Rogan or Rogan or something like that. Yeah, I, um, I didn't. I didn't recognize him. Huh. Yeah. Now on page three, the space station it looks like a series of backpacks connected to an air conditioner. <laughs> yeah. I will say that design looks similar to what might have. Uh, it doesn't look like tech that would be. Out of place. It looks like something that they a model that they may have that Jeffries might have designed. Could have, I think he could have used like the K seven model or you know a version of that. He could, yeah, easy as, as opposed to this. But still, I mean, this you know looks pretty pretty cool, and you can see where it's got United Federation planets on the side, and was that UFPS? Yeah, one eighty seven. Yep. Um, I mean, still, it is pretty cool. But it makes me think of backpacks hung up on. It does look like backpacks. A it looks coat like, rack. Well, yeah. it looks like. Remember on Next Gen, whenever they were going on away team, that they weren't in costume. They would have these. There's probably some backpack they found. It's, it was kind of like a hard, yeah, clamshell type backpack. That's yes. what it reminds me of. What did and you? Uh, oh, on, on page five, did you catch the Tellarite that's working there? Oh, you know, I did. He's kind of bow-legged. Oh, wow. No, I, I did not catch that. It's funny, but the... Um, what is it? What is that? Tan Ali. Um, it, it, I hear, of course, the Magrathians from the BBC series <laughs> of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or the Chipmunks from any of the Chipmunks movie whenever uh, Tan Lee speaks. Tan Ali speaks. How does Spock know to call it Ah Tan? I don't know. He's this this alien is from Star Trek Four. She's a background alien. Yeah. Um, you know, Spock just knows everything. I guess yep. I don't know why. And she seems to know him. She's she was excited that he was going to show up. And I guess she doesn't trust her own readings because she wants him to kind of uh, look over her work. Well, Spock is a legend. That's true. That's true. Mm. I mean, everybody except for the Tan Ali is wearing the the, the purple and green coveralls. That's Even true. the women, it yeah. looks like. Well, it's funny because in page five, her outfit looks blue. Yeah. On page six, it's purple. Yes, and the hair just looks even more outrageous than London Malari. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a very good... I don't know who designed the alien. It's not a very good... Uh, she got a little bit of Hector Hammond going on there, doesn't she? Um, <laughs> yeah. 
But and now I thought it was interesting. Uh, at the at the bottom of page six, you see the image of the guardian there behind Spot. Oh, I didn't catch the, that. The round computer. Yeah. And if you look at the very next page, you can see the guardian, and the image that you're seeing through the guardian in both images is the same. Oh, it is. That's the, cool. The background image. Yeah, he probably just and clipped it. Now, of course, the the Greek column that you see that's broken in front of the Guardian. If any of you have the Hallmark Christmas ornament of the Guardian of Forever, you've got that broken column there too, because that's where the button is to turn it on, make it turn make it, it on, make talk. it say the sounds. Yeah, because it's got Spock and Kirk jumping into it. I don't think I, I have that. I've got, I've got that one. I don't think I've got that one. Yeah, I don't have the very first one, but I've got the shuttle and several others, and I've got that one. Now, of course, the, the space station itself is all standard, you know, Star Trek tech all around. And those funky fire hydrant things against the wall by the transporter room. Yeah. I do like how uh, Byrne has put a lot of stuff in the distance. And all around, so you get a better sense of the fact that there's there was a lot of civilization around the Guardian at some point in time, and it seemed to be very uh, Grecian because mm-hmm. it looks like the Acropolis back there. Yeah, he definitely expanded that. I guess in uh, Allison's original uh, treatment or screenplay, it was there was going to be uh, the city was going to be full of Guardians, and it was going to wow. be a much bigger city. Wow. Have you read the, uh, the, I think it's a five-issue IDW? I got it. I kind of skimmed through it, but I didn't didn't read it intently because, again, the idea of a drug dealer on the Enterprise. uh, Yeah, that was, was, you know, you could do a whole series of podcasts on Harlan Ellison and his uh, uh, anger with Gene Roddenberry. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So they beam down. Guardian knows them, which they seem surprised. Um, and I love uh, Spock's comments as the Guardian oh, uh, remember, remembers eternity. So, of course, he's going to remember who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and the Guardian agrees with him. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's a nice, and yeah, uh, page eight, you, that small up in the upper right, you see the ruined cities behind it. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the fact is that it looks like um, Ephesus, the, 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 the image in the top left of that little image looks like Ephesus, where on the right it looks like the Acropolis of the Parthenon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Ephesus is in Turkey, and it's in the southern coast, and in, in Talia. Yes, I've traveled. Uh, <laughs> but um, I don't recognize the lower one because that seems to be uh, a, a, newer, a newer structure. It looks a little bit like the ruins that you see in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. So maybe there's mutants in there. Maybe. Yeah. So so they, they, they arrive and, they, of course, they think, uh, well, we've been here five minutes. We can't figure out what's going on. we got to jump through this thing. <laughs> uh, which what happened? It was a TV show. You got to keep things moving, you know. Uh, but they say they're coordinating with the station, but I don't know what information the station is giving them. 
the only thing we know so far is there's been a blip and there are and somehow time has changed but the guardian says he didn't change time and of course the guardian doesn't change time before it wasn't it was bones that changed time the guardian just was recording it right. so but the interference didn't come through someone going through the guardian right and i think with the with them coordinating with the station is that the station is basically beaming to spock what where the guardian is in the playback of history okay okay see so that 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 spock sits there and goes yeah we need to go in in five seconds you know so they're trying to find out where it deviated i guess right right um and they bring carolyn you know down there palamas down there so she can stand with dr mccoy and go what's going on yeah. um and it, it's weird because that metal panel, I, I thought I was looking at action figures. You know that um, Robot Chicken uh, mm-hmm. series? Yeah. It, it made me think of those kind of action figures being used. Um, but just that one that, that one uh, panel. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, she's basically there to keep McCoy safe because she doesn't really, I mean, even reading the rest of it, she doesn't really add anything to it. She doesn't do anything... Anthropological right. or architectural, or, or uh, she doesn't help out. You know, and then they jump through to, you know, maybe Burns' neighborhood. I don't know where this was. I, I'd, be, I'd love to know where this was shot. Is this like Burns' neighborhood? Is it where he lives? You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm wondering. I was wondering if that was the case, um, especially if the house they used. That's what I was wondering. The house. That's the, that's the residence. I wonder if that is his house. It was so residential. You know, it's just so... Okay, that's somebody's middle-class home Mm -hmm. out there in the middle of suburbia somewhere. You know, not not a high-end. It was like lower middle-class kind of... You almost expect to see like a broken-down Camaro in the front yard (laughs) with a tarp over it or... You know? (laughs) Well, the guy spent all his money making the machine, you know? Yeah. Do you think it's reasonable to think that they could have modified these communicators that would that would somehow be able to communicate through the portal. I think they could think that they could do that, but yeah. I don't think that it would work. Yeah, I don't think it would work either. Obviously, it doesn't. But yeah, they went into a four G area with five G communicators. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like no cell reception. Yep. And of course, you get that little playback to sit in the edge of forever with Spock trying to hide his ears. Yeah. Why didn't you think of that before you jumped through? Well, they never. What? They never. When, yeah, they why, never. Why didn't you dress appropriately before you jumped through? Of course, even if they dressed appropriately, they'd be inappropriate here. <laughs> Spock should just always keep a cap in his back pocket. Yeah, no kidding. Because <laughs> he can always pull over his head. Uh, then we get a whole kind of a little sub story here. You know, Hori gets to do a little more in the story. You know, they want her to come down and. Try to cut through this interference, and then Scotty you know, finds I like, out. I like page eleven the way it goes back and forth between the red and the blue. Mm-hmm. I never noticed that. That is nice. Yeah. 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 The the only two red shirts that never die. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, so then Scotty, you know, finds out that Carolyn's there, so his interest is peaked because they had a little. I got to get down there. He was sweet on her. Maybe want to go back uh, a couple pages. And I, I forgot about this before. But when Carolyn first transported down or showed up uh, back on page four, there's, you know, McCoy is like, Carolyn, I had no idea you're here. And in the next panel they show, 
It almost looks like Dr. McCoy is trying to hold her hand. And I was wondering if you saw it the same way I saw it. I don't know I didn't notice that, but yeah, I see, I see what you mean now, because she's smiling and... Yeah. Yeah, I don't it, know. It, he's either holding her hand or he's fixing a swatter in the butt. <laughs> One or the other. Yeah, but then, of course, Scotty, later again, we're on page 12, Scotty finds out she's down there and says, oh, i got to get down there now. Yep. Because he was, oh, I've I said he was, he was sweet on her in the, uh, in the, uh, the, the actual episode, TV episode. Well, he died for her. Yeah. Died for her and got brought back. Of course, I like that pose of him in the middle of, uh, of page 12, that third panel. You know, it's like, that's a man's man's pose, you know? <laughs> Put us about four, five meters from the, the Guardian's Hammond. It's almost like a drunk Scotty, like Dudley Moore. <laughs> All right, you baby. God love you. Okay. Yep. And uh, on page, top of page 13, where, you know, Scotty first sees her, and he says, uh, how, how is your wee baron? <laughs> he says that in one of the episodes because he's talking about his engines are, are failing. My wee barons, yeah. My wee barons. And I always thought in the episode he was saying bearings, like ball bearings, you know, I'm all my bearings, but apparently yeah, my barons, bearings. My children. Yeah, that's Scottish for, or Gaelic or whatever it is for children. So yeah. that's what he took because, you know, she and we should point out that in the previous uh, issue, issue 11, if this is referencing she, which references a previous TV show where they meet the supposed Apollo, demigod. She becomes pregnant with his baby, and that's what you know. They kind of follow up on that that episode in his in his issue. So, uh, have you read that issue? Yeah. Yeah, I read the, it. I read it just to kind of to tie in with this one. Yeah, and of course she's sitting there talking about the kid. Oh, he's bright at two years old. He's already reading. <laughs> well, he's a demigod. I mean, what? <laughs> he's like a baby Q. Yeah. <laughs> so that's gonna be. I mean, I I I, I see Burn pulling pulling at that thread later on, probably. Yeah, they he does seem like, and I don't know when he wrote this if he knew this was going to be the final issue or not but he seemed like he's he yeah, does seem like he's setting up stuff yeah uh, or maybe that's why he brought her back but uh, and then the bottom of page 13 mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on with Spock when he's getting zapped uh, Kirk, <laughs> Kirk looks surprised Spock looks <laughs> like somebody goosed him I don't know <laughs> why he picked that uh, that image of Spock yeah I, d- I don't know again you know there's a distance thing he had to do mm-hmm. he had to catch him in the right right area so yeah but he did that is just kind of the sound of the the servo or whatever Gary Gary 7 called his little pin yeah but then on the next page you've got you know what, what what is this? Um, thong. Yes, a thing, thing. Thong. <laughs> and you got the two crewmen that shall never be named, including Mister Part down the middle. Yeah, he doesn't look. The guy on the left looked. I think I've ever seen him on the show. The guy on the right, I don't ever remember seeing him. 
I think she was on the episode when um, uh, I Mud. I could be wrong. But I think he was on the bridge during I Mud. But uh, again, like I said, I could be wrong. Yeah. But he didn't. He didn't get a whole lot of screen time because Sulu took his spot. Well, Sulu's basically like, "Here, get out of there. Let me try. Let me do it. Yeah, let me drive." But he's the good driver. Yeah. Well, he's you know he's. Uh... And I forget the name of the communications gal, the blonde gal that's there when the her. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, she was. She had. She was on there occasionally when yeah. her couldn't be on there. It's kind of like uh, Mr. Leslie. He was a background yeah. guy. Who was on her all the time. Now this isn't. Gary's office from the the earlier episode of Simon Earth. No, it's it's more. That's why my note was it was a little more modernized. It's obviously a uh, you know, and, and I'm yeah. assuming this is supposed to be 2018. So now that looks like Byrne doing some paper towel artwork on that wall there. Yeah, I don't know if that's that. I won't. I wouldn't be surprised if that's an actual painting that he's. Well, he might not be able to do that. But it looks like kind of like a Pollock or something, doesn't it? Well, it makes me think of um, that paper towel work that he did in Ganthet's Tale. Oh, oh, the, when the entropy effect at the end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who knows? That could be an actual painting in his own house. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, and you, well, you can also tell that you know this basically works the same way. You know, in the, in the TV sh- show Simon Earth, they come through. It looks like I always thought it looked like a vault. Mm-hmm. But his his desk computer is more advanced. It's 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 your uh, it's the arcade game you wanted the desktop model. Oh, the cocktail. Cocktail, yeah, yeah. It doesn't look <laughs> the other one. How did you think? Because this really kind of pulled me out. How do you think he handled Robert Lansing's head on a different body? I, I really didn't, you know, catch most of the time that he had put it on a different body. Uh, there was one time I was wondering, where did he get that wardrobe from? But, yeah, there was one image on page 17 where it looked like it was not carefully placed. Yeah, right. the upper right. Yeah, it, it, yeah, the head looks a little too big for it. Yeah, it's obviously some kind of uh, just a leather jacket. Yeah. Um but and then of course there's you know in this in this continuity he doesn't he doesn't um, excuse me he doesn't know Kirk because they haven't traveled back in this timeline yeah um, but this could be but if you think about it, I thought about this when I was reading this in that episode we're we're going back in time just to observe and we run into Gary Seven. He's put there to stop what might have been at that point World War Three because he was gonna stop uh, a rogue missile from going up and I think it was gonna land oh maybe in a Soviet Union, so he has to destroy the missile. Right. Well maybe that's what happened in Kirk's timeline, because we know in Kirk's timeline, the original series, there is a World War Three and out of that ashes rose kind of the Federation. So maybe this is this seems more like the timeline that when Gary Seven did stop the missile, stop World War Three, and then there wasn't a war. What if this timeline was the Edith Keeler lives timeline? 
It could be. It could very well be. I've I've heard <laughs> that some people say the Edith Keeler timeline is the mirror universe timeline. Because in that one, when she lives, Hitler wins World War Two, and that could lead to the Terran Empire. Hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. So, a little back and forth, you know. Spock tries to, you know, Kirk tries to explain it. We know you. We met here before, and he's Gary's like, no, I don't know you. Uh, and then that's when he realized they're probably on a parallel universe. Yeah, that was that was the leap they made, and you know, I mean, and and this is one of those things where it's like everything looks the same, everything seems to be exactly the same, and it it, it puts me in that Father Guido Sarducci kind of everything is exactly the same except they eat the corn on the cob up and down instead of left to the right, you know? <coughs> okay, that joke fell on flat ears. Uh, but, um... No, I mean, it, but it, it, at least it was easy enough to follow at this point where things were going. And you could say, okay, that's just an alternate universe, Gary 7, so we can move on. Yeah, so then they kind of, they kind of, it's kind of a Marvel team up. You know, they meet. Yeah. Oh, we're going to fight. No, we're on the same side. Okay, let's team up. Uh, then, we, you know, then we're going back to the Enterprise where Sulu is continually to try to pull the station out of orbit uh, and, you know, maneuver around all of these uh, time ripples or hades, yeah. distortions, whatever they are. And. I guess Gary Seven was alerted because his computer became active because of the some kind of a portal, but it wasn't the portal that Kirk and Spock came through. Right, it was the one in this residential area. Yeah, an ordinary residential neighborhood. But it says uh, that means it could not have been your arrival that alerted Beta Twelve. I've I'd already been on site for half an hour before you showed up. Of course, he doesn't know what time, what time they got there. But do you get the impression that Gary, you know, like the original series, Gary was just coming to Earth. He was beaming in. Do you get the impression that he just beamed in a half hour before they showed up? Because the computer found there was some kind of a, <coughs> sorry, some um, kind of a. I no, I think he'd been there for a while. Because we've been oh, yeah. there for a while. Where is Roberta? I guess there's no Roberta in this timeline. I don't yeah. think that he charmed her like he did in that yeah. one. Or this is 2017. That was 1967. So that's what, 40 years? <clears throat> well, there's that. That she could have died. <laughs> well, on top of that, yeah, I mean, Lola will be honest. Terry Gar didn't have a great experience working on the... The series. No, she would have come back no matter what. And and she didn't uh, sign over her likeness rights or anything, so they weren't going to reproduce her in any way. Yeah. So you wouldn't they they wouldn't be able to reproduce her here. When Byrne did the, the actual hand drawn series of Assignment Earth, he made his own model for Roberta Lincoln. Yeah, just did a, just a, his, his concept of her. Yeah. So then they go to somebody's house. Yep. And. They basically break in, <laughs> and uh, I guess the readings are coming from the basement, so they head to the basement with the cat, and find a little workshop, 
very nice basement. And they find, and what this is what I love that the burn's done. This piece of tech mm-hmm. looks like it's got uh, Nomad on top of it. Yeah, the, the top of Nomad, or and he's used that not just on Nomad, but also on the Romulan cloaking device. Right, so that's what they would have done. If they this was an actual <clears throat> TV show, they would have repurposed props. Right. So that's I think that, that's nice attention. Um, but they don't know what it does. Uh, and they don't they know it's too advanced for this time. And then the owner shows up and I would really love to know who this guy is. If he's a friend of Burns or just a model. He reminds me a little bit of the guy that was the warden in Shawshank Redemption. Or the captain on the wounded. Um, but yeah, he, he must be a friend of his or um, someone he got permission to use. Does he look a little bit like George Perez to you? No. <laughs> no. I don't know why that's that's popping into my head. Hmm. Um, and then we're, of course we're cutting back to the planet and... The Guardian's not being much help. And they're trying to explain that, well, if the universes are collapsing on each other, you're going to be in trouble, too. And I thought it was interesting. He said, the Guardian says, no, he's not tied to the planet. He's He hints that he's he's not just a machine right. that's there. So if the planet gets destroyed, he'll somehow continue, continue on. on. Right. And now uh, the planet's green. Yep. Down the bottom, page 21. Oh, it is green. Yeah. It was brown earlier. Yeah, it was orange, wasn't it? Or reddish. Yeah. I don't know. So they're trying to beam it out. And, of course, Scotty's hinting that, well, they're, you know, we're going to have to jump through this portal. And Sulu's still doing his best to uh, duck and weave through uh, these uh, the, the ripples and, of course, the... The, the station not being as tough as the Enterprise is just basically kind of falling apart. I love the security guard at the back by the turbo lift just hanging on. Hanging for, on. That's a Star life. That's a Star Trek acting. Everybody lean yeah. this way. Everybody lean that way. Yeah. Uh, and you can hear the engines, you know, struggling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that noise. Uh, then we're back in the basement and the man in black. The man in black. It looks like he's got a shotgun. And they're about to question me. And then, uh, you know, our real protagonists show up here, or the antagonists, uh, the, these photonegative aliens. Yeah, um, and then that made me think of alternative factor mm-hmm. characters. Again, well, that, that's what they probably would have done if they were producing this. They would have done something like that. Uh, the their little zapper, I can't tell. It looks more like a lance. Can't really tell what it is. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to work on them I don't mean it, it's it it they zap Spock and then Gary Seven pulls his um, servo servo they zap him before he can shoot <clears throat> and then they zap even zap uh, Alan because they're like well we don't need you anymore uh, then of course Kirk has to jump in there and do some yeah, let's see what happens if I punch you it's right punchy punchy that's always worked for me and then but and then I did have a little issue with Fieser uh, what do you call them? Pan-dimensional. They're not. No, I kept thinking about the pan-dimensional beings from Hitchhikers. 
<laughs> white mice. I don't I think, I, think I, I was thinking of pansexual creatures when we were talking about Lando Calrissian. Oh, <laughs> in the last solo movie, you know. I don't think the uh, the neck pinch would work because I, you know, if these were that far removed from uh, human, human, and I thought he really missed. Well, again, he doesn't like if he doesn't like next gen. These reminded me a lot of the aliens from Time Zero. Those aliens that were like out of phase. Oh. They were stealing uh, human well, energy actually, or whatever. I actually had a different feeling altogether about the aliens once they take the mask off. I, when they take the mask off, I didn't know what they... Uh, I was thinking of Mick Fleetwood's character from Next Generation. Oh, the fish guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely see that. So, we, you know, they get a, a, a neck pinch, and he gets one of them down, but then he gets, zapped. he gets up or gets zapped. Spock jumps in front of Kirk. He's down, then Kirk gets zapped. And they're all sleeping. And now they're back on the planet, and Scotty and Carolyn decide, well, we're going to jump through and try to find the captain. But instead of getting into the 21st century nice, you know, strip malls, they get 21st century right. ruins. Yeah. So they get into what what Kirk and Spock expected to jump into. Yeah. And it's just, you know, uh, it's, dev- it's after the war, but I guess Reconstruction hasn't started. Um, this would be... I'm kind of wondering where this would be in the Enterprise First Contact timeline because that was what 2050 when they met Zephram Cochran mm-hmm. so this could be this is going to be around our time based on the, the house and all that stuff yeah. that we saw earlier It's it's got to be around you know 2017, 2018 yeah. after the eugenics wars Khan and Simon has already left the planet 1995 <clears throat> yep. 96 yeah. and so they're not worried about their, you know, they're okay about the radiation. So they're going to basically just poke around and try to find them. And then the, we get back with the aliens and they're starting to monologue about something they're doing. The machine's doing what it's supposed to do. But I don't know what the uh, the phase shift is going to do. Everything's going according to their plan. We don't know what the plan is. Uh, why they plan on interrogating the prisoners, I don't know. They should just kill them. Yeah. Uh, but Isis is watching from the shadows. Now we're back with the Enterprise still dragging the space station. Uh, and, and it's about to break up. It's about to break up, so uh, Sula basically says, we got to beat everybody on board. And, and Pavel thinks, well, it's going to strain the transporter circuits. He's, and basically he does a Kirk. Yeah, do it anyway. And we're back with Scotty and Carolyn. In the wrecked past. Wrecked past. And the ground gives way in what is... I mean, that's, I guess, the best pose he could find, but uh, it's not a very convincing pose of her falling. No. Uh, and I never, I never saw what it was she impaled herself on, either. You never see it. You just see, uh, when it cuts back, you just find that she's she's hurt. Yeah. Uh and then we're back. Then at that point, they'd be commercial. Come back, commercial. Uh, the aliens are interrogating our three 
humans, uh, why they're have a hard time believing they're from the future because they're the, they themselves are pan-dimensional beings. So why they find that hard to believe? And they're already messing around with time, so yeah, I don't know why they. Uh, uh, and they're a little ruthless because they're basically so we're gonna start killing you one at a time until <clears> y'all start talking. But then Isis jumps jumps on one of them, and then again we're back to uh, Kirk with a spack and Spock with a pinch, and they're both down. Yep. Uh, and then Alan, who in that one panel where he says the Looking Glass looks a little, his eyes look funny. He looks a little tired. Glassy. Yeah. yeah. And he doesn't explain what the machine. Well, he his explanation is that he wanted to build a machine so he could go to a different world because he wasn't happy with what was going on in his world. Right. Uh, but they don't understand why it's building up because the aliens apparently did something to it while they were out, and now it's building up. It's kind of like the Genesis wave. It's building up to something, and they need to shut it down before it. I don't know. Destroys the universe. Question mark? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, then back in space, everybody gets beamed on board. Just in time. Just in time, and there's a, there's a little uh, um, question as to if they got everybody on board or not. And I, there's a little, there's a couple parts in this that I thought the dialogue didn't ring true to the characters, and when. Chekhov calls up to the bridge and Sulu and Sulu says Sulu here what is it Pav I don't think Sulu would ever said that yeah yeah I don't, I, that, that that felt kind of false to me uh, and then he talks about the, the temporal distortions getting worse now the planet is trying to tear itself apart so McCoy and Uhura thinks well we gotta jump through because uh, the Guardian's not worried about it. The planet destroys itself. He'll still exist. He'll he'll continue on. So they jump through. And now they're in the past, the wreck pass with Scotty and Carolyn. And that's when we find out that she fell and uh, impelled herself. And that's yeah. a weird... Uh, page 32 at the top. Scotty looks kind of like a hunchback yeah. where, he's, where he's pulling her up. And... I, I guess McCoy doesn't have his medicate with him because he basically acts like he can't do anything for her and he has to... Yeah, nothing. Yeah, he can't give her a shot. He doesn't, you know... And now we're back in the house and Spock and Alan are trying to um, take it apart, take shut it down and he doesn't quite understand. It's like he... It's almost like he, he knows it but he built it with their influence so he doesn't exactly understand what it does it's kind of like Barkley in the F degree exactly exactly yeah. like that yeah uh, and they need to try to shut it down and Gary Seven tries to zap it with his servo but that just blows his servo apart so Spock decides <clears throat> he's got a mind melt with the aliens yeah they take his helmet off and they're <clears throat> pink bug eyed monsters Fish people. Fish people. It does look like fish people. And, you know, he says, yeah, I can mind meld with anything. So he does a little touchy-touchy, and he's kind of overwhelmed by what he sees. That was, um, that one I recognize, though, from, um, 
Golly, it's what, uh, the one with Sargon and. Oh, oh yeah, it's uh, it, it, uh what's the what's the guy that jumps in his body? Yeah, I don't remember. Enoch or yeah, no, Enoch was on Land of Lost. Anyway, I, I know what you're talking about. Yep. And now we're back on this wrecked planet, and McCoy's just kind of beside himself because he can't help her, and Scotty's desperate. So basically, McCoy takes his shirt off, and they, I guess, put a tourniquet on her or, or try yeah, to stop take, the bleeding. He takes his overshirt off to tourniquet her wound. Yeah. Stops uh, the bleeding. He's like, I just, you know, I got to get her out of here. So he's got his blackness on. His undershirt. Yeah. Now we're back with Spock, and Spock's kind of coming too. And he said he saw universes folding, collapsing, consuming each other. The end of everything. Uh, and before we get any explanation or even more, you know, anything else on that, Alan says that the the machines, you know, built I guess building to, building to uh, building to an explosion, or it's not built to take this kind of surge. And they got to cut it down, shut it off, and Spock says, "Well, we got to shut it down." You know, you can't just pull the drive out; you got to eject it. You know. Uh, and Alan says, "I'll do it." You know, after that's when Gary Seven's thing blows up because it, I guess, the feedback. And he says, "I'll do it." And it's like he's taking the top off, and they're warning him about the radiation. And he says, "Well, don't worry about it." And it starts doing something. It starts the uh, the conversion. It's starting. So whatever that is, while he's being blasted by radiation, and unlike a Marvel character, he does not get superpowers, he just dies. Uh, And this reminded me a little bit of the alternative factor, when he says, I feel like every atom of my body is turning, is trying to turn itself inside out. It's like, you know, the universe is winking out when Mm -hmm. Lazarus would uh, exchange places. Yeah. That's what it seemed like. And then it it blows up and Alan gets burned and then everything's back to normal. It's like they did a reset and he explains he wanted to, he thought he could find a better world. Um, But now that he realizes that Kirk and Spock are, you know, the future is bright, he he dies. He dies a happy man. He dies a happy man not knowing that, well, you know, we don't know well, how your future is going to be because they're from a different one. And then it's, then it's you know, uh, cue the jaunty music and we're back on the Enterprise and Carolyn's in bed mending and Scotty's going to take a few weeks off so he can maybe try to rekindle something. Yep. Uh, yeah. And everything's, uh, everything's back until Bones basically says, well, how do you know we're back where we're supposed to be? <laughs> Cut to credits. That's yeah. That's that's what you'd hear. Yeah. So overall, what you think? Third season episode. It's absolutely a third season episode. Yeah. I was honestly, I was really disappointed in this. I, I'll be right out and say I really didn't like it. It had some interesting things, but it didn't take him anywhere. 
Yeah, that's my problem. It, it set then, up stuff, but didn't pay anything off. Yeah. And then the, the, the ending was too easy. You know, just everybody getting, you know, fixed to the right spot at, at the end. That was too easy. Well, I, I didn't know what the what the aliens were doing. They were trying right. to... Like what they was were, their goal? Yeah, well, they trying to save the universe, but what was... Who put the universe in peril that they needed to build that machine to do whatever they did? Um, I honestly kind of thought the, the, the inclusion of Carolyn Palomas was a little forced. I don't know if that was just to bring her back. Because she really does nothing in the episode, other than get it, hurt. It, it seemed like it was just there to create a, a subplot. Yeah. And that's the same one with Sulu. With him trying to save the the station, that's all that was. That was just plot C. You know, plot A is Kirk and Spock. Plot B was really Bones and her. Plot C was Sulu. Yeah, but it was. It, I mean, the thing is, it was interesting. It kept my attention, but I had to read it more than once to really absorb what was going on. Um, I liked the the imagery that he used. You know, none of it really threw me off or hmm. kicked me out of the book. Some some of his old imagery kicked me out of the books. Um, the alien that he used that that was from Star was it motion picture or was it Star Trek Four? Star Trek Four. Star Trek Four. That was one thing that, that really kind of kicked me out of it for a moment, though. That I can one. see that, because that's almost like tying the TV show with the movies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, <clears throat> it's not... I don't want to say it's a bad issue. I mean, it's not... No. It's nothing I'd ever read again. It's not very memorable. It's um, not Jaws. No, it's not Jaws. It is not Jaws. It's not Jaws 4... No. I'd put it just... It's just three. It's just three. Absolutely yeah. just three. And oh, you, Paul is going to kill us, isn't he? <laughs> We're pinching his ideas. Yeah. Uh, and you're absolutely right. It is a, it's a late season three episode. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's better than Cat's Paw, but um, it, it's not one that you're going to sit there and go, you know, if it, if it were to come on, you wouldn't go, oh, i got to watch this again. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's kind of up there with... Um, the lights of Zatar. An episode's like, oh, because that's a that's a Scotty centric one where he's in love with the girl. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I I wasn't crazy about Gary Seven being there. I didn't know well, why I mean, he was there. You know, this this episode did something, or this one did something that a lot of the episodes don't do, and that is reach into multiple episodes. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, they, it, they rarely use characters over and over like Carolyn Palamas, uh, you know, Doctor Boma, or uh, you know, other other back characters that you might see once or twice. Mister Kyle, you know, you don't see them a whole lot. And like Carolyn Palamas was, you know, she was there for one episode for a reason. Yeah, she was the girl of the week. Right, and. To, to bring her back into this one after he already brought her back for the other thing yeah it was it, it was something that they didn't do in the regular series at all and so it was kind of a little stretch it was almost Peter Davidy because Peter David would, would attach everything to everything you know not everything has to be connected this is true yeah this is true yeah 
Well, I mean, I, it's. I mean, again, I enjoyed. I enjoyed it though. You know. All, yeah, all, I mean, I, I, I was frustrated. That was, I guess, that's the biggest thing I can say is I was frustrated because I kept wanting to think, okay, they're going to tell us, explain something, they're going to explain something, and they never did. Yeah, but well, I mean, I kind of wish you this is if this is truly the last issue, I kind of wish you'd gone out on a higher note. But and, and that's I think that was the the the, the popular consensus is yeah. that you know while this was put out as the last issue, there was no pomp and circumstance, mm-hmm. there was no heartfelt goodbye, there was no no you know and 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 we know that he is going to be doing other stuff. He's going to come back and he's going to write and. And produce something else. Um, that is, if the itch that he is scratching right now does not take over his complete muse. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe it may be a couple years before you see any more Star Trek from him. That's fine. Um, yeah, I think I think he'll return to it because I know he wanted originally wanted to do twenty four issues, so he's bound to have stories in his head that uh, he couldn't. He just didn't have time to put down. So I, I don't think that stuff. I think with him, that kind of stuff has to force its way out. So I think eventually. He'll come back to this, yeah. Um, yeah. Especially with um, uh, you know his editor there by his side, guiding him the whole time, being the burn whisperer. So I think, I think uh, you know, I, I've, I've confidence we'll see more out of this from. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you got anything? Uh, I know we both have to kind of get off because I know you have work and I have work. Do you have any final thoughts on the final issue? Not, not really that. Um, I, you know, d- we do have news as far as uh, upcoming episodes. Yeah, we have a kind of a special thing you kind of, you kind of set in motion. It's kind of percolating. Yeah, John Hyatt and David Thompson are going to guest host with us, and we're going to cover uh, parts of the Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah. In preparation for the movie, X-Men, the, the Dark Phoenix movie. Yeah. So, uh, you know, be looking for that down the road. And uh, next month, though, or, or when we get our next episode put in, we'll be going back to a regular comic book art uh, issue. Yeah. And uh, just uh, keep an eye out for us. Yeah. And we'll try not to, well, they're on the show, we'll try not to, we'll try not to haze them too hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and any news that we do get, we'll, we'll of course, uh, pass on to you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, just uh, keep looking out for us here on TutuFreaks.com. iTunes, be sure to be giving us iTunes reviews. The more iTunes reviews you give gives us uh, exposure out there. Uh, and uh, for Third Degree Burn, I'm Brian Hughes. And I'm Tim Elliott. Keep, I'm going to steal this from uh, 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 Bug Spots and Babes. Keep watching the skies. Okay, but keep your feet on the ground. Keep your feet on the ground. All right. All right. Good night. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T W O T R U E F R E A K S dot com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Two Two Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to 
gotta get burned at gmail.com. That's G O T T A G E T B Y R N E D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to 22freaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. All right, I'll be mayor. <laughs>